0: Welcome to Doctorate, the podcast of PhD candidates in the humanities and the social sciences at the University of Vienna.
1: This is the place for
2: communication and discussion about issues surrounding us in the world of science. We address the what's, why's, and how's of our work and invite researchers from different disciplines to explore topics and ideas they and we deeply care about.
0: In today's episode, we'll talk about entering a PhD program, transitioning from a student to a researcher and getting into the social life of academia. I'm your host for today, Rasmus Vardemann, and I'm a PhD candidate at the Vienna Doctoral School of Social Sciences. Our guests today are two early stage researchers, Julia Schulte-Werning and Kirin Rieder. Kirin is doing his project on the material-environmental dimension of infrastructure and reproduction of social inequalities at the Department of Social and Cultural Anthropology. Yulia is doing a Ph.D. on Jewish medical humanitarianism in North Africa from the 1940s to the 1960s at the Department of History. But today, we're not going to talk about social inequality in mid-century Africa, but rather how these topics represent a transition from being a student to becoming a full-fledged researcher. So, Yulia, when did you decide you were going to do a Ph.D.?
1: So, after finishing my M.A. at the University of Vienna in summer of 2020, um, I was quite exhausted and also like needed a bit of a break from my topic, the, the topic I dealt with in my MA thesis. So rather than thinking about applying for um, PhD positions or other ways of funding right away, I um, did an internship at a publishing house in Munich um, in the summer and, and fall of 2020. So just to, to have this sort of break from academia for a little while. And also afterwards, I was rather looking for positions in other fields and then started to work um, at the museum in Vienna um, in a full-time job um, where I already had worked um, as a student during my MA studies.
0: Mm-hmm. Because, Kvirin, you were not in Vienna when you uh, decided to start uh, applying for PhDs. You were in London, is that right?
2: Yeah, exactly. I actually found out about the position I'm working in right now through a kind of newsletter. And so I just moved to Vienna in fall. Like, actually, um, I started at the same time as Julia did, so in October 2021. I kind of came across this position rather per incident, so to speak, um, I was looking for various departments where there are kind of potential supervisors for a project I had in mind, but I like the idea of doing a PhD wasn't kind of written in stone for me. I thought, okay, if there are some interesting opportunities for pursuing a PhD, I'll go for it and see if I can kind of get through an application process. But I just thought, okay, if this will not work out, I will also find something else. Did you guys have any plan Bs?
1: Yeah, because it was quite similar for me, as Quirin as said, that it was never fixed in, in stone. It was uh, an idea I had in mind and I never said I, I wouldn't want to do it. But um, I also was very interested in um, yeah the, the field of museum work and um, the whole issue of how to bring topics across in a wider public or like cultural work in general. So this is something... Um, yeah, through internships or other projects and activities I had already pursued during my studies in um, in the bachelor and the master's program. And so after um, this internship, I rather looked for positions there and started this museum posi- uh, position.
2: For me, the plan B would definitely be for uh, applying for various internships, because to be honest, I didn't kind of do too many internships before I started a position. So I was kind of, or I'm still really unexperienced in the field of like normal job market outside university. So for me, it was kind of a a fixed point to to see if there are other opportunities in the wide range of like social or cultural institutions, NGOs and various foundations that might hopefully (laughs) I thought offer an internship position but yeah so i'm still this is actually a point i'm still kind of struggling with but like outside university you might really have a lot of job experience so
0: mm. because now you have both been um doing your phd since october 2021 uh, it's you haven't been phd's for a re- really long time uh you would say but When you started, did you encounter some uh, experiences that you didn't see coming? Something that sort of broke with your expectations in a way of what uh, sort of life in academia is supposed to be? Mm.
2: Any expectations that kind of didn't fulfill? Yeah, I think there were some. Um, To me, it was a big break between like uh, being a student and then suddenly being something like a, a researcher, um, and I thought this might be like a bigger transition, but actually to me, it, in the end, like as far as I can tell by now, it wasn't as big as I supposed it will be. So for example, um, I thought I will have like different tasks to do and different kind of work experience to, to work around. But in many ways, it actually is kind of a just like a, an extension of m- my master's kind of work life. And in some ways, this is also uh, maybe bad because, uh, at least for me personally, I, ex- I thought I might go into a position where there is like a bit of more structure of what I will do there. And, I'm in some ways, many, like in many ways, a bit bad in time management. I mean, uh, today at this recording, I arrived kind of five minutes late because I didn't find the entrance of the building. Um, so there are some continuities that I actually, maybe I could have expected them to be there, but yeah. What about you, Julio?
1: Um, yes, I can relate to this experience. The In the beginning, at least, there is not really a given structure. It's a structure you have to build up yourself. And it's, of course, also very individual, depending on your funding, the way your position is embedded in, in other academic structures, and also your topic and your personal um, way of, of working, etc. Um, but for me at the beginning, it was kind of a hard transition coming from another job where I had like um, kind of 20 emails a day coming in and people needing things right away. Um, yeah, to, to this blank desk where I first have to develop my work.
0: Right. So uh, I, I'm interested in when you start when you applied for your, your PhD positions, um, what did you expect going in? Uh, most people, they m- might have some experiences from their master's and they have PhDs running around on their institutes and on departments. And that's sort of where they get the image of what a PhD is doing. Did you have any friends that you talked to that had any experience? or like how, What motivated you to get into this?
2: What motivated me to go into a PhD was, yes, as you rightly said, like to a big extent, friends who were already pursuing a PhD. But on the other hand, maybe just like uh, the idea of kind of sticking to this, what you're actually doing at the moment. And at least to me, something that I really like, like um, reading, immersing yourself in a topic that you find really interesting and important and a way of engaging with meaningful ideas, projects or simply social issues that kind of uh, go around the world. So this was one big motivation for me. Um, But as you said, like uh, sometimes, you know, PhDs from kind of know like your, your friends and your networks. But what was also interesting for me in the first kind of weeks I started this position was that when I was talking with other PhDs that just started, we were always like exchanging us among like, what are you actually doing today? Because to me, it was like, okay, every day you will kind of find out what someone else is doing and just how they structure their life and how they like structure their every day was still so much new to me. Like you just worked for one deadline and that's it. No, actually there are still another other tasks flowing around, so... Yeah, this was like, as you said, the experience of talking to others was very meaningful for me.
1: Yeah, it was very similar for me also, like in the the period before starting the PhD. So talking to to friends or colleagues, some of them already uh, are in some sort of PhD program at the University of Vienna, some do it in um, other cities, Um, but also right after starting it, I realized that it's crucial to to get out there, get in touch. Of course, with COVID, it is also sometimes difficult. It has made it a bit
0: harder for it, hasn't it?
1: Yes, it has, because of course, many things just shifted to an online format. But still, like all the, the coffee breaks or things you would like perhaps do afterwards, um, they kind of fall away. And this is, of course, a shame. Mm. But I think we all try to make it work. And For me at least since i've been here already for my ma i had a a certain network which i could build on to Mm -hmm. but of course for others it might have been harder i mean you just came here
2: for me the whole kind of department i'm working in right now was completely new i actually had uh, two friends who are studying in vienna but they are doing different programs so like at first i had no connection to the department And in this sense, starting during COVID was a bit hard. I mean, I'm I'm sure a lot of people
0: can recognize the feeling of coming into something entirely new with your PhD and feeling a little bit alone about it. How have you tried to connect with your colleagues
2: and, and people around on campus and on your departments during the times of COVID? Um, for me, uh, the biggest point was uh, social media, <laughs> actually, um, and we have like monthly sure fix in our department uh, where kind of every new person joining the department presents him or herself for like just two minutes. So therefore, you know who is new. And then I was lucky that like some older PhDs approached me and said, hey, we are having this group. I think it was on, on WhatsApp or, or some other social platform uh, like Just social media, getting in contact with others at the department was then kind of really helpful because at first, if it was only online, you do not, like at least I'm not the person who starts knocking at various doors and say like, hey, I'm new, do you want to have lunch with me? So yeah, Mm. I was really uh, glad that I found kind of friends very uh, fast.
0: It's, uh, it's important to think about also when you're doing your PhD or applying for your PhD and accepting the position of a PhD as well, um, that you're also leaving something behind and what's waiting for you in the other end isn't always that clear. Um, I mean, you were al- already living in Vienna, but do you feel like you left some part of your life behind for your PhD?
1: Um, since I transitioned from from another job to this PhD position, of course, there I had the feeling that, yeah, I, I left certain projects in which I was quite invested in and yeah of course you gain something else for it I mean now I have the time for really um, getting into a topic the the things you said before Kyrin that um, now you have the time to to read up on things and like really look closely into the source materials etc. And I think this is a, a great chance and I'm really lucky that I, that I have this now.
2: Yeah, I can relate to many of the things you said now, but what I'm kind of a bit like missing or leaving behind is the typical idea of living a student life, so to speak. I mean, technically, we are still PhD students, but in many ways, um, kind of we are indoctrinated to feel as if we are uh, normal employees. I mean, you could all put all those things like in, 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 in um, inverted commas, but... Yeah, for example, the idea of living a student life in terms of, okay, now I can really freely decide when I want to work, when I want to study, when I want to do something else. To me, the whole idea of being employed uh, to a fixed number of hours made me kind of stick to a way of discipline, uh, at least ideally, to work at when I was supposed to work and to kind of have leisure time. Yeah, like...
0: no going out drinking until after midnight on Wednesdays because you have to actually go to the office the next day, even if it's your home office, right?
2: Yes, yes. I mean, these are exactly the things. Or just friends called me the other week and said, okay, we're going to do some sports and swimming. And it was a first. And I was like, actually, I have to work right now. But And they said, oh, can't you work on Saturday? And I'm like, yeah, I, actually, I could. But maybe I like, I, I should s- still stick to the, the working hours because I feel the whole kind of expectation that come, come towards you are different now. Maybe that's to some extent internalized, but I think, yeah, th- it is kind of a different feeling now for me at least, I don't know about you.
1: Um. Yes, I, I definitely agree. Um, but perhaps also from the other perspective, like sticking or trying to stick to working hours also helps me or is a way I try to bring myself exactly to the things mm. we discussed before. Yeah, that's like, true. Um, building up a structure for yourself actually getting work done, et cetera, which can also be quite hard um, in the beginning when you start. And um, for me, I found it very helpful to um, take some of the workshops and classes the doctoral school offers, right. just to to get in touch with other um, PhD students um, who just started, um, and also to to learn a bit about issues or also um, yeah, institutions that you could turn to if you have certain... Um, questions, etc.
0: Right. Do you guys feel most like a student or most like a worker? Or I don't know how to put it.
1: You get what I mean? I don't really feel like a student anymore to some point because my MA is, yeah, a bit like it's some time passed in between. But whenever I'm in a seminar, I feel right like a student <laughs> right again.
2: back to the school bench. yeah. To me, it's uh, kind of the same. I still have to take two seminars as a participant, and I uh, really feel like a student. I mean, you're all in the same mood of, okay, now I have to do a presentation, uh, okay. So, of course, it's your research project that you're presenting, and of course, you're investing a lot of time, energy, and passion into it, but there is still the structure behind it that you actually get to get like evaluated, and you have to hand in a term paper at the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. So to some extent i'm still feeling uh, like a student but i think as you just said it kind of shifts maybe and yeah maybe to me it's also different because like i i didn't have the the work experience in between maybe right i mean
0: phd's I remember when I was uh, younger uh, at the university doing my bachelor's and my master's and I was looking at these PhDs you know these are people that have their life together they like they're like really smart people I mean they got their PhD funding and everything and then you know I get into it myself and I'm sitting there in my office I'm just like what the shit what am I doing you know am I supposed to teach people things I don't know anything like how do you feel like your encounter with that sort of uncertainty and sort of it's very common to talk about this imposter syndrome how is your encounter with that and how do you deal with it
1: well i encounter it daily <laughs> sorry Same. Same. um and yeah i found it very helpful what you said that um it's good to be open about it and also be open about it when when you teach a class that where you come from what, um, what your experiences were so far exactly to to not have this top-down situation and um yeah when it comes to y- my own insecurities and um and issues i have or, or struggle with and which might um come up in different ways i i feel like getting in contact with with people and reaching out is really the only thing that helps me in in the sense that it's so good to hear that other people um might feel similar things or experience similar things and then um discuss um as a certain event, um, for example, and, and come up with, with solutions, etc.
2: To me, it's kind of similar because I still, like every day, I think like, okay, am I actually now a PhD? Is this kind of real? And then I think, oh, actually, it's it's not a big thing at all because there are so many uh, kind of issues and mistakes you still make and so many, <laughs> personally, so many deadlines I still miss and like things that are not perfect and that just kind of worked out by trying it and trying it again. So um, I also encountered this idea of like, oh, am I actually good enough for this, what I'm doing? And to me, it's just like a constant struggle of trying to come up and to catch up with expectations. But I think slowly, slowly I learned that these expectations are um, kind of not fixed expectations, but rather like a framework in which you can navigate what your own ideas are and what your own project is going to be like.
0: Yeah, I, I heard someone say that uh, life in academia is learning how to stretch deadlines, uh basically. And I think that's uh so true in a lot of uh, ways. Just learning uh, learning the rules and figuring out you can't actually you can't actually deal with them in the way that you're expected, but you have to actually uh, go beyond that in some in some sense. Um, I want to talk about uh, I want to talk a little bit about where where we're going forward. So you know we've uh, seen where we were and we where we are. Where are we going? I mean, you're pretty fresh in your PhDs. You still have uh, two years left, approximately. You have f- four years left, Kieran. <laughs> Three
2: and a half. Sorry, uh, a half. like my pr- my position as a, it's like a predoc, uh, university assistant, and it is always laid out for four years, but it comes with multiple teaching obligations. And as I'm doing anthropology, it would involve a rather long fieldwork stay of approximately one year. So um, four years first sound very long, but I think they will come to an end pretty soon.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my position is for three years, but I feel similar that I'm yeah, I would be quite surprised if I managed to, to finish the project really in three years.
0: Mm-hmm. So how, how are you working towards sort of the end goal of your PhDs? I mean, it seems so far away when you start and then when you get into it, you see like th- these things, they take time and uh, at some point there is a deadline. You know, you might be able to stretch it a little bit, but at the end of the day, you kind of have to uh, hand it in.
1: Right. Like at the moment, it's very hard for me to envision the the end product, so to speak. Um, And this is also something like, I mean, we we talked about, like, issues of stress or insecurities or pressure, and this might also be exactly one of those. Um, So talking to others has helped me to try to break it down into more, like, smaller packages and, yeah, take it step by step. But of course, there is the overall expectation from myself as well as from others, that in the end there will be a thesis. So, right. yeah, it's, it's hard to, to wrap your mind around it.
2: I totally agree, I guess. Um, what really helps me is also this communication with other students, with other PhDs that are in the same situation. And what I found really helpful in the last semester was a course. It was just called, I think, a research colloquium or something like this. And I think similar things exist in nearly all disciplines. And um, there we were kind of made to read draft chapters of dissertations and, like, article submission drafts. So this really helped me to see how fast, how slowly people are going. And then, like, also sharing their stories and sometimes also, like, um older postdocs or professors sharing their stories about, I don't know, like, their failures and their process towards writing up a, a thesis was really helpful for me. But of course, this, these are sometimes things that not everyone likes to talk about.
0: Right. I, th- I find it so important to share your sort of vulnerabilities in academia, probably everywhere else in life as well. But, you know, you have this idea that it's just you write things and you publish it and it's so easy. It, people make it look so easy. You know, you, when you read an article, it never says like, I revised this like 18 times and I hated myself and I didn't write for like three months straight. You know, all these things are made sort of invisible. And especially during times of COVID, I think it's so hard to actually uh, make those things visible to ourselves and and others because you lack that sort of uh, interaction. How did you deal with this in in times of COVID?
2: Well, it was really helpful for me in terms of kind of trying to to find ways of communicating and of seeking experience while being in home office due to COVID was still like, different forms of of, uh, informal communication that happened for like just if you're attending one event or seminar with another PhD student, you just text each other and then you say like, oh, next week there is this day and again, and oh, do you have in mind that there is this another event going on there? And like so many things that you could maybe also attend but don't have to, but could. And then you were thinking like, oh, am I actually a good PhD student if I don't go there? And to me, it was still like, again, as I said, the communication with with other students that yeah. kind of made me aware of what what I can also skip.
0: What is your idea of a good PhD student, Julia?
1: Oh, that's a hard question. Like, of course, you, you meet these other people and from the outside, everything is so shiny and looks so professional and smart and cool. And then you feel very, like, not that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but... Like, sometimes when you, like, answering such a question, I would come up with, like, this impossible standard of, right. of good things. But then you realize that it's actually impossible. And those, yeah.
0: You get into work early and you get into work every day. You make your lunch at home. You write at least 500 words every day. You read two articles every day or something like that. Stuff like this.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, these ideas exist, but to be honest, I think the whole idea of a good PhD always implies that there is also a bad PhD. So I really don't like the idea at all because this creates so much pressure, even if everyone knows that actually a good PhD is something that no one can really achieve. So I think if we can just like skip all the, the adjectives and just speak on of PhDs or PhD students, um, I think this would make many things easier. Yeah. Do you often
0: feel that like the, your, the expectations towards yourself from yourself and from others sort of uh, make it harder for yourself to actually achieve what you want to do?
2: Yeah, I think I would agree that there are kind of expectations that create so much pressure that in the end, actually, they are not productive at all. But I think this also depends on the person. Like me personally, I can work under pressure. And sometimes I would actually say I cannot work if I'm not under pressure. So if there wouldn't be a deadline... Maybe, yeah, things would be really slow, but I think it's kind of a tight drop because too many deadlines and especially too many strict deadlines can be really harsh and it always depends on who is kind of creating the deadlines. Yeah, what about like
0: this this dilemma of like saying yes or no to things when people are like, hey, uh, so we're doing a podcast. Do you want to like be a guest? And you're like, oh, actually, I don't have time, but as a good PhD, I, maybe I should, you know, how do That's you what we did? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, obviously, you, <laughs> you said yes, which we are very thankful for. But there are so many sort of offerings and options and the th- things that show up during a PhD. And it's really easy in the beginning, at least for my expectation, to say yes to all these things. And then you end up realizing, wow, okay, shit, this is actually a lot of work. I need to learn how to say no.
1: Saying no is actually terrifying. Yeah, uh, right. Because there's always this feeling that you're missing out, or there is something that is super interesting and like general, generally good, and and you still can't do it if you're like totally honest about your capacities and your energy.
2: Yeah, the whole idea of fear of missing out in terms of academia is really, I think, a stressful topic. Yeah, mm, but what I also find interesting is. The idea of commitment and if commitment is always like something you have to really stick to it. So I would uh, differentiate a bit between kind of commitments that really require you to be responsible and to stick to a project at least a certain number of um, months or weeks or whatsoever. Just to be fair, also towards uh, fellow colleagues or students that would join you in this project. But also like I joined several reading clubs. In the end, I regretted it. But I think... To some extent, if they, if this was something that was actually kind of negotiable and to to skip, even if you try it first, I would still go with the idea of first trying things out. If they do not require you to to stick to this for a longer period of time,
0: All right? I think that's really good advice.
1: Yeah, I would also very much agree.
2: So
0: what recommendations and tips and tricks would you give to people that are thinking about starting their own PhDs or just started their PhDs? What are the sort of pitfalls and what are the good things to do?
2: What was most helpful for me was just subscribing to various newsletters. And some of them were like internal from certain departments. Some of them were just like uh, broader networks of uh, scientists or whatsoever. And
0: that's for applying to your PhD.
2: Exactly, yes. Um, Because they kind of... They distribute a lot of call for applications, Um, but also the other topic um, I found really helpful. But also the other thing was that just like looking up various institutes and departments that you find interesting and see if there are supervisors that fit your project and look into their kind of publications and see if your style of, of writing fits their idea of what academia is. So I really like this. Um, but in the end, what I found important to keep in mind is that in only a few cases, uh, a PhD actually knows his or her supervisor before. And I think you can always be lucky with this choice or not that lucky. Uh, in my case, I'm pretty lucky, but um, I think this is important to keep in mind that actually, this is a an, an factor sometimes. I, at least in the past, I tended to ignore this a bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's your uh, sort of closest colleague in some sense as well, right? Your PhD supervisor, like, hopefully, you know, you're going to meet this person a lot and it's important to have some sort of uh, commonalities is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Mm. What about you? Any recommendations, Julio?
1: Um, Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And perhaps to add um, for the period, like when you started it, uh, I mentioned it before, for me, it was really helpful to just take some seminars or workshops, even if you're not really sure if if they are that helpful in the end. Like
0: You can just, just drop out. And yeah, and, and, and just
1: take them and, and see where it leads you just to to have some initial structure and to, to meet some people, to get familiar with the structures, with everything around you, with what's offered, etc. Yeah,
0: because the stupidest thing you can do when you start out is just sitting there at your desk and not knowing what to do, right?
1: Right, exactly. And of course, this also, again, depends very much on the issue if you have like a position that is more like a scholarship or if you have um, other work obligations um, parallel to it or in within the PhD position you hold. So, of course, like the time capacities to take those courses or workshops are also quite individual.
2: Yeah, just adding on this, what I also find kind of useful in the start was making a lot of lists and like putting things into your calendar but then in the end do not stick too kind of seriously to those lists because i had so many kind of books to read and articles i wanted to at least engage I had with those lists too <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and i think in the in the first kind of few weeks this is really important because this gives you an idea how to structure your day and what to do and then i thought like okay i will do at least i don't know one or two readings a day plus the thing i have to do uh, in terms of bureaucracy or something like this but then like i just kind of went all over these lists and uh, threw them away but i think it was really useful in the first weeks to to have something like this to get us started. yeah and in the end you figured out without the lists how
0: to live without them in a way it's like a crutch when you start or something right so every episode we ask our guests to bring a personal object that relates to our current topic and these objects they might seem like ordinary things but they often contain unique stories about interesting experiences. So today I'm really curious about the stories behind the objects Julia and Kieran brought from the beginnings of their PhD. And I see that Kieran, you brought some permanent markers, but you, Julia, you didn't bring anything in the studio today. Why not?
1: Uh, Yeah, because it's attached to the wall of of my office space, (laughs) so I couldn't bring it. Um, Because there the walls are designed to be pinboards as well. Yeah, and and my idea was just that I remember the first day I came into this office space. It's a shared office. We are four in the room. uh, And everybody else had like their notes pinned on the board or had like a bookshelf packed with with things and documents, etc. And I felt very intimidated by this blank workspace, this desk and this empty pinboard. And I felt like, how can I ever contribute anything to this or, um, yeah, just... Pin, pin things there and mm-hmm. have ideas and um, bring something on and, yeah, but of course, like, the, the as soon as you, you start doing it, then put the first note on mm-hmm. the board, then it evolves and, and keeps going and...
0: So what does this pin board sort of symbolize to you?
1: Mm, that as a start can always be hard mm-hmm. and sometimes it takes some, yeah, some, some energy to, to take first steps but then it's mostly always worth it, and it, it just, like, goes. Yeah.
0: Right. Kirin, your uh,
2: permanent marker or non-permanent markers, whiteboard markers. I was thinking about, okay, what can I bring? Should I bring a book? Okay, maybe this is too, like, cheesy. I don't know. Um, then I remember that uh, kind of in the first teaching experience, I had uh, a couple of, of like, uh, semesters ago, I was asked to do just like a, a tutorial that goes along with a bigger lecture. So I actually wasn't responsible for the content or something like this and just had to repeat main points again that were already made in the lecture. But still I was so nervous in advance and I knew that these classrooms at, at other university they're normally not that well equipped. So I was really kind of frightened that I might not be able to actually do what I was doing there and simply write something on the whiteboard. So I uh, just bought these whiteboard markers. And um, because the, pen, the pens that they have normally that don't work and I was so frightened of the are like standing there in front of a class of students that actually want to know something from me and I'm like, okay, I cannot I cannot even write. It sort of sounds like a nightmare
0: situation. You have, you're in a dream and then the whiteboard markers, they yeah. don't work and then your teeth are falling out and you don't have any pants on or something <laughs> like that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a bit like that. I mean, it was not that terrifying, but... For me, it was, maybe it was an attempt to gain some security in a situation that was totally unknown to me, and in the end, it didn't work out that well because, of course, the whole kind of situation doesn't hinge on having a pen or not, so yeah, but it was th- the attempt to gain some security, but in the end, I found out that like a technical fix isn't working here. <laughs> right. Um. Just yeah. again, Julia, can I ask you, um, what was actually on the pinboard before you said nothing, but what is there now? So what did you add?
1: Mm, it's a mixture of either like calls or um, seminar series or something I find like Mm -hmm. formats that might interest me or deadlines that um, are connected to them Um, but also on the other hand like those wild mind maps and also Mm -hmm. sometimes desperate attempts of structuring myself or like writing down like having those Awful headlines of what is still missing, and then Hmm. those bullet points of (laughs) shame—the wall of
0: desperation, (laughs) exactly. But actually,
1: like once you write them down and put them there, it also gives you a sense of control back again. So even if it's like the stuff that's still missing, at least you could sort of identify it, and that makes it more manageable.
2: Yeah, I think I once heard a story about someone that like. Try to forget something and to get things just out of your head. And if you write it down, actually, then you can maybe forget it. Even like, Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Even if you forget it, and it's bad that you forgot them. And yeah. um, they're at least out of your head for a couple of, I don't know, days a week. So you have a bit of like headspace. Yeah, so it gives you
1: a do. sense of relief. Yeah.
2: I think
0: that's a good finishing remark. Uh, some advice to uh, remember to forget. Sometimes that can be a good idea uh, and get a pin board or a pin wall. So I want to really thank our guests, Julia Schulte-Werning and Kirin Reda for coming today on our first episode of Doctorate, starting your PhD. Uh, this episode was written and produced by Max Brockhaus, Angelika Hudler. Editing is by Martin Pokorny, and I've been your host, Erasmus Valdemann. Doctorate is a podcast brought to you by the Doctoral School of Historical and Cultural Studies and the Vienna Doctoral School of Social Sciences. It's created and produced by the school fellows. Thank you.